Hello, everyone. Welcome to Rates and Barrels here on The Athletic. It is Thursday, August 27th. If you're thinking to yourself, that's a similar baritone to what I'm used to hearing, but not exactly the same, you're right. This is Michael Beller. I am sitting in for the vacationing Derek Van Riper DVR on a very well-deserved time off here this weekend. So happy to jump in with guy you know and love on Rates and Barrels, Eno Saris. Eno, what's going on today? Oh, man. Uh, I'm pretty tired to the bone. And, um, you know, it's funny. You know, I'm tired for a funny reason. I've got these two puppies, and they're just adorable. But they're crapping all over the place. And (laughs) uh, they wake up, like today was 545. They either wake up in the middle of the night or they wake up early. And it's just like having babies again. And, um, (laughs) you know... I, I'm I'm laughing a little bit, but I'm also the you know, I call yeah. call my mom crying uh, this last weekend <laughs> just because with COVID out here in California we can't do anything really uh, indoors, um, and mm-hmm. uh, with the fires I haven't been able to go outside most of this week, um, so I just feel really cooped up, um, and then on top of that uh, there's sort of this economic downturn, and um, and then these protests and, and um, the violence and the, the, like, I don't want to like create a false equivalency. Um, what I'm feeling is perhaps temporary um, and maybe not on the scale of um, some of the injustice um, that people of color see in this country, but what, The reason I bring it up in the same sentence is that um, I think that we're all hurting. And I think that we all have some pain right now. Um, And the reason why these things are linked is um, there should be empathy born of that connection. Um, I'd like... The, the response I understand the least is there is no racism. This guy deserved it. Blah, blah, blah. This, 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 this other kid with the AK 47 was just doling out justice. Like, I don't understand that at all. Uh, it, 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 it seems inhuman to me and perhaps they are just bots. I mean, there's more bots online than ever. Um, because it, it just negates that human connection, which is like, like you're hurting and I'm hurting. And what can I do for you, brother? And what can I do for you, sister? And how can we do something about this? If I think, I feel like we just came from that begin beginning stance. Um, we could get further than we're getting. Um, sort of belittling the victims uh, belittling the issue uh, talking about NBA players is wanting a night off. Like what? what? <laughs> I, I, it is pretty ridiculous. I, I, I don't understand it. And, and I know that like puppies and fires and COVID and economy, like, like that actually I th- I actually think that pales in comparison to a lifelong absolutely mantle of of sort of just like what it is to be a person of color is to deal with everybody else's problems like deal with everybody else's issues they're put upon you you know what I mean like mm-hmm. ah and I just I just think about you know, um, my mother's husband, who's who's black, and all of the things he's dealt with, and two of my best friends that, you know, Stanford-educated black folks that um, have just had to deal with just stupid crap. It's stupid crap from other people, and it, it's stuff that they don't, they don't, they shouldn't have to deal with. And for someone who hasn't dealt with that to say, oh, racism doesn't exist. It's just mind boggling, man. And, and like, yeah. you're just not listening to all these people. What are they all trying to tell you? Dom Smith is crying. You know, Dom Smith is crying, trying to tell you something. 
And you're going to turn away and say, nah, that doesn't exist. Nah, Don Smith's a millionaire. You know what? Don Smith is not a millionaire. And even if he does have more, more, more money than most black people, that just means that he has more opportunity to say something, more of a platform, and it still affects this dude. You know, money mm -hmm. in a lot of places is like the defining thing, right? You get treated better with more money, right? Mm -hmm. We've got these rich black people that are still being treated poorly <laughs> and are still crying about it. Like, they're still gotten to the point where they're crying about it. That this is just such a weight on their shoulders. Uh, to turn away uh, is incomprehensible to me. So uh, we, we always have to make this awkward transition uh, to, to baseball stuff. Right. But um, I guess, you know, the NBA is going to resume and uh, baseball is going to resume. And I hope that, um, you know, something comes out of this. Um, and I hope it's just not more yelling into uh, the abyss, I guess. Mm -hmm. I'm right there with you, Eno. It's very well said. And, you know, willful ignorance has become something that is you know, almost weaponized at this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just really upsetting that it's something that has to be dealt with every day. There aren't even the right words for it, right? It, nothing feels strong enough um, to, to wrap around everything that people of color have to deal with yeah and that does not describe you and i and you know we can sit here and say these things and empathize these things and empathy is a hell of a starting point it's uh it's it takes us a long way but you just have to listen you have to listen to what these people are saying because they're not making any of this up they don't want to be living in this world they don't choose this this is foisted upon them yeah century after century um yeah uh yeah, it's yeah, it's centuries old. Um, and the weirdest thing is that like we're willing to throw away good things that are centuries old, um, and ignore the bad things that have been centuries old. Like, mm -hmm. like habeas corpus. You know, it was in the friggin' Magna Carta, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just bizarre. Um, it is, it is. But as you said, we are, it's, you know, they, the, the, it's good to see these teams and these players use the platforms that are available to them, right? If it was not them, uh, then a lot of these discussions would, you know, go undiscussed and, you know, to completely unresolved. And it's unfair to a point that this has been put on athletes, but uh, the way that we revere sports in this country um, that's unfortunately the way it falls. And so big hats off to the NBA as a whole, the Milwaukee Bucks getting this started on Wednesday, the Milwaukee Brewers following closely behind, and the six MLB teams that decided to uh, take a seat on Wednesday, Jason Hayward, Dexter Fowler, Matt Kemp, Jack Flaherty, their teams played, but those four players chose to sit out. I know that Hayward at least was already in a lineup that the Cubs had released, and um, and when everything started happening, he asked out of the lineup, encouraged his teammates to continue to play, but uh, said he needed to take the night off. So uh, a courageous stand, and we have to hope at least that these are discussions that um, are moved forward, are advanced, and that there's some real solutions and that it's not just a something we talk about for a week or two weeks or a month or two months, and then it is completely brushed aside. As you said, we do always have to make this awkward transition because we still do have a job to do. And there was uh, baseball played and baseball to be played, but we couldn't possibly have this show, have any show in any real way, in any honest way, and not at least address that right up front. There was some news um, on Thursday morning, Taiwan Walker being traded to the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, so that is something to keep an eye on. Can you explain exactly what the deal was with that trade? I think what's interesting is that, you know, a lot of it looks like good on the, in terms of peripherals, like the strikeout minus walk rate is okay. Uh, but then you, you, you kind of notice the BAPIP is really low and you're kind of like, is he actually any good? And when I, when I go down to the pitch level, pitch type stuff, what strikes, strikes, strikes me is that the only pitch of his that gets above average width is the fastball. And I guess if you were going to only uh, do one, um, that would be, I guess, a decent one because you, you still throw that um, more than any other pitch type. Uh, 
but he's throwing the slider a lot more, and it gets like 10% whiffs. Uh, he's throwing the split finger a lot more, or you know, he's throwing the split finger a decent amount, and it gets like 10% whiffs. So um, I actually I, I've seen some analysis to the contrary, but to me, he's actually a decent fastball. What else you got, kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think he rises any further than uh, a fifth starter in real baseball. Um, and I guess that would make a streamer in most leagues. Uh, but something that I guess the Blue Jays needed. Uh, the Blue Jays uh, yeah. kind of have uh, their their top guy in Ryu and maybe um, Pearson when he's when he's healthy again. And then they have their meat and potatoes with Jason, Chase Anderson and Tanner Roark. So, you know, they just need to kind of shore up the back end and um, Walker might be their only move. I mean, Mark Shapiro is mm-hmm. a guy that uh, that keeps it close to the vest, you know, and, and, and basically uh, tries to hold on to any amount of team control that he can. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely is. Pretty much always has been over his entire um, front office career. And I'm with you there on the um, on where Taiwan Walker slots in in a in a fantasy context. Probably just a streamer. Definitely a move that made sense for this Toronto team uh, for where it stands and kicking off uh, what could be a somewhat active uh, next, well, we got five days until the trade deadline, trade deadline coming on Monday, August 31st. So a lot of teams are out there in the market, uh, hard to determine necessarily who is going to be buyers, who is going to be sellers with the extra playoff teams this season. A lot of teams uh, who would traditionally be more on that sell side could find themselves uh, staring ahead at a month where they only need to go about 500, maybe a game or two over and could get themselves into the postseason. So maybe they end up uh, maybe not necessarily being active buyers, but not quite the same active sellers that we expected them to be. Um, some other news, and this unfortunately takes us back to the bad side of things that was uh, coming around over the first few days of this week. Player uh, development staffs being cut across Major League Baseball. A few that uh, jumped out at me. We heard from our own Sahadev Sharma, one of our Cubs beat writers, that the Cubs are going to be uh, conducting some layoffs in that side, in the baseball ops side of their operation. Same uh, for the Yankees. That coming from our Yankees beat writer, Lindsey Adler. Uh, says, uh, you know, I, I guess it felt as though this was always a possibility going back to when the sport first shut down in March, just two weeks before it was supposed to be regular opening day uh, to have it actually happen is a different thing entirely. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to read the tea leaves on this because it comes at a weird time. You know, we're playing baseball. Things seem to be normalizing to some extent. We thought maybe the, the furloughs that happened early that, you know, a lot of that stuff was, was behind us. And these are some of these cuts are cuts that'll happen after the season. They're just sort of announcing them now. And, you know, this kind of there's a, there's the other side of this, which is that there might be there are going to be fewer minor league teams next year. Uh, with the minor league contraction, you could make an argument that you need fewer player development and scouting personnel. However, from what I've heard, a lot of teams will just house uh, more players at their instructional league uh, compounds uh, to make up for the loss of, of teams um, because that they still most teams, especially teams like the Yankees and the Phillies, um, you know, want as many. This is rude, but like lottery tickets, they want as many mm-hmm. young players as possible to see who can who will pan out to be to be great major league players and. Um, so you still need the scouts and you still need the player development. So what I read from this is, uh, perhaps even, uh, scarier for baseball is that this is, um, nervousness about what the state of baseball will be in 2021. Um, this is nervousness about how much in stadium income, um, teams will get, will there be fans Mm -hmm. in the stadiums and, even if there are fans allowed in all stadiums, what will the economy look like and what will that allow for in terms of attendance? Um, so, you know, that's yeah. well, just another thing, another thing to worry about, I guess. <laughs> how, how, how many people could a team have at its instructional facility? Like, realistically, how many players can that house? How many? It's all, if it starts to feel like an overcrowded, overcrowded classroom. At some point, like, are there enough teachers to go around for these players? Um, 
from what I heard, the Diamondbacks were maybe the most egregious, and I think someone said they had up to 75 players there once. Um, yeah, that seems like a lot. I doubt that going forward, uh, 75 is most likely. And, I, you know, we're going to see some attrition in within the ranks of minor league players where some minor league players just hang it up after this year. Mm-hmm. Either they didn't play all year um, or uh, they came to an end or family dynamics required that they get a better paying job. I mean, these jobs are so badly paying um, that no one can be a minor league baseball player and support a family. And so if through other problems in their own, in their own families, that it requires that they actually, you know, make some money instead of, you know, $4,000 a year or whatever it is. Um, you know, we may lose some, we may lose some players. And so, uh, but I do think that, um, if you lose two or three, like the, the Yankees and Phillies may lose two um, affiliates, which would nominally be 60 players. I still think that maybe uh, 20 or 30 of those will find their way to instructional league. I'm, all right, you know, let's uh, let's take a look at some some fantasy trade discussions that we can have here. We talk about the MLB trade deadline coming up in five days, expected to be somewhat active over these next five days over the weekend leading up to Monday the 31st. But uh, fantasy trade time is high as well. i got a month left in the season, so uh, this is the time certainly uh, to strike. We talk all the time about you know, buy low, sell high, the sort of obvious um, discussions that you're going to have when you are looking at trades. But I always think that there is an argument to be made for buy high players, right? We see these guys who break out, and it seems unlikely that they keep it going, but a lot of guys end up keeping it going. That's why they become breakout players rather than, you know, Chris Shelton uh, of the of the 2020 season. And so even if they only keep it going at 85 or 90%, that's still someone who you are very happy to have for the remainder of the season. So I thought we could talk about some a few buy-high guys, and we'll get into some buy-low guys a little bit later. So I put together a list. You threw some guys in there. Who's someone that has had a good start this season that you go into a trade discussion know, knowing I'm buying him high, but I'm still willing to do that? Well, I think you uh, had at the top of your list Mike Jastrzemski. Uh, one thing I do like about him is that his batted ball stats are relatively unchanged. You know, he's mm-hmm. barreling the ball about the same as last year. Maybe his exit velocity is, is down a little bit, but that's average exit velocity, which is uh, not the best one to use. If you look at his hard hit rate, which is how many uh, balls he hits hard, it's uh, 42%. Last year was 43%. You know, his expected slugging is about the same as last year. So, um, yeah, maybe he's not a 6'12 slugging guy. Uh, maybe the batting average will come down a little bit. But with the new fences in San Francisco, uh, the DH creating more opportunities with runners on base, um, and just the, the, the general sense that he's in his peak and now being more patient and really waiting for his pitch, um, you know, I believe it. I believe in, in Mike Ostromsky, you know, with the caveat that, like, I don't necessarily think that he's – um, someone that is as attractive in dynasty leagues, uh, considering that he is 29 years old and uh, took so long to get here. I, f- I have a feeling it may be uh, a short, a shortish peak, and you may only want him for another two years or so before it starts to fall off a little bit. You know, he actually just turned uh, 30. Happy yeah, birthday, Mike Yastrzemski, August yeah. 23rd. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mike. From, I didn't uh, just say something negative about your age. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, Mike, from the uh, from the crew here at Rates and Barrels on The Athletic. Uh, on an episode of the, uh, the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast early on, I believe it was pre-shutdown, so we're talking sometime in February or early March, had uh, we had David Adler on from MLB.com, one of their Statcast gurus, and he was really singing Mike Yastrzemski's praises, uh, and because of a lot of those Statcast numbers from 2019 that you mentioned, and 
to see him carry that through here in 2020 uh, does make me feel pretty good about him for the rest of this season and then, as you said, maybe the next couple of years. So if you're looking to make a move in a redraft league and Mike Ostremski feels like the sort of guy who whoever has him right now maybe feels like they're a little bit above their head. So not only do I feel comfortable about where he goes from here, but feels like an actually attainable guy, right? Everyone wants Fernando Tatis on their team. Probably not super attainable at this point, but Mike Ostremski feels like someone who you could go out there and uh, and make a move for. How about a couple of uh, Taiwan Walker's new teammates in Toronto who have started off this season very well? Teoscar Hernandez and Kevin Biggio. Either one of those guys uh, jump out to you as someone who can you know keep it going. Like again, but just to restate this, by keep it going, we're not expecting them to do what they've done to this point for the remainder of the season, but to be. 80, 85, 90% of what they've been to this point for the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, the, the with BGO, the, the whole deal was um, that he just um, uh, was, like, maybe extremely passive. Um, mm-hmm. And um, he's still... He's still pretty passive in terms of... Um, He's amazing at taking definite balls. He's amazing at not swinging at chases, at chase balls. Uh, but by not swinging at heart of the zone stuff, um, he actually costs himself a little bit still. Uh, you know, by uh, StatCast, they have a sort of heart shadow chase waste uh, situation. And he's minus three runs in the heart and minus 14 in the shadow. Um, and I think that's mostly because uh, he takes so much there. Um, he takes 29% of the time in the heart and the average is 27. So, you know, the heart is where you do your damage. That said, I think he's made some progress there. And if you combine that, uh, with his elite ability to make the most out of his batted balls, he's very good at barreling, barreling the ball. Uh, he's very good at knowing when to steal, uh, despite, uh, just decent speed. Um, you know, I, 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 I believe in Biggio, and I think he's made the strides that he's kind of getting past the, the stuff I was worried about. Teoscar, uh, I mean, I like him because he's a guy who hits the ball really hard, and I like guys who hit the ball really hard. He's barreling at uh, in the top 5% of the league. He's hitting the ball 94.6 miles an hour. But I also think that, you know, remember, Jonas Cespedes has had this, like, stretch where – um, he was hitting the ball 95 miles an hour on average, and he just carried the Mets to the playoffs. And um, it was an amazing stretch, but it was not sustainable. Like, I just don't see an average exit velocity of 95 miles an hour as sustainable. It's, there's like two guys who've ever done it, um, and they're always injured. I don't know if that's related, but, um, you know, it doesn't something that doesn't seem to hold up in, in large samples. So Teoscar's problem is still the same that he has now which is he hits the ball really hard when he makes contact and he just doesn't uh, make contact enough. So what do I think of in like the context of this year, I might make a tepid buy attempt. Um, but um, in the context of like a, a dynasty situation, I would be, especially if I um, wasn't going to necessarily win it all this year, I would be selling him pretty hard. I think. The point you make about Kevin Biggio is pretty interesting. Uh, whenever you talk about guys who are too passive in the zone and who start to rectify that, um, you know that that problem. You know, frankly, I, I always think of Freddie Freeman, who you know became one of the most super aggressive hitters on pitches in the zone a few years ago, and it coincided with his big breakout season. And I always wonder why more players. Don't do that. You know, uh, working the count obviously has its charms and its virtues, but you want to attack and strike when you have that opportunity. And I feel like Freddie Freeman really provided the blueprint for why you want to do that and how to do that. And so I always like to see players who already have that play discipline skill established start to break down some of their passiveness on pitches in the zone. So that does have me intrigued by uh, Kevin Biggio. There are two other hitters that I want to talk about, and I think we have enough time to talk about them. I'll run through one guy really quick. Um, Ian Happ seems to be having the season 
that the uh, Cubs thought he could have. The Cubs thought he could have maybe a couple of years ago, and you know his his struggles, uh, especially on uh, strikeouts, have been well documented. But you know, Cubs are having a weird year, where as a team they are you know playing pretty well and doing well, and it would take a disaster to strike for them to not make the playoffs at this point. But you look up and down their offense, and there's really no standout numbers. The one guy who does stand out. Is Ian Happ at 287, 422, 564, six homers in nine or 110, excuse 117 plate appearances, 94 at bats. Um, I think this is something that's real, and you love the fact that he's going to be in the lineup for the Cubs every single day, no matter where he's playing, no matter if he's playing center or if they have Albert Almora out there and they push him over to a corner. He's going to be playing uh, for the Cubs every single day. So he's someone who I definitely like. 21 walks against 27 strikeouts, too. Something that uh, always seemed like he was going to be able to get under control. It's nice to see that happening this year. I want to throw it to you for Kyle Lewis. Of course, if you have something to say about Ian Happ, go ahead and say it. But Kyle Lewis, another guy who, you know, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, Lewis I had as uh, my bold prediction rookie of the year. Yeah, exactly. Um, of course, like, Lewis Robert is probably still going to run away with it. But, you know, there's been some regression uh, over in Chicago. Um, and Kyle Lewis keeps doing it. Uh, the batted ball stats say just the same thing they said last year, which he hits the ball hard. Mm-hmm. And the one difference between him and Teoscar Hernandez, which was, you know, you, you saw with Kyle Lewis, like, you had I, I thought, like, Teoscar Hernandez was a kind of a floor. Where, where we don't know how good he's going to be on defense and we don't know uh, what his swing, like his contact his ability is going to be like, what his discipline, what his plate discipline is going to be like. It could be bad. It could be kind of seven and 30 like Teoscar Hernandez. Right. And it, and with all the knee surgeries, he could have been just a corner slash DH guy. However, mm-hmm. now we're seeing what Kyle Lewis can look like when he's healthy. He's playing center field and he didn't get those reps when the knee was hurt. And so now that he's getting daily reps, I think we're seeing his true talent, plate discipline, and contact ability come through. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that so. September run to turn to this year, uh, it really, I think, confirms it almost. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, walk rates take a little bit longer than strikeout rates, but strikeout rates are in that zone now where you can start to believe them. And so I, I, I kind of believe that Lewis is distinctly a better player than Teoscar Hernandez um, and is – even though he's similar in that he hits the ball really hard. And the one thing that that's interesting for me about Hap um, is that in the face of fewer fastballs than he's ever seen, um, he could have, he could have folded, you know, because um, he's seeing more junk than he's ever seen. He has a natural whiffiness in his swing and mm-hmm. it could have ended up as a, th- you know, like 2018 even, which was a decent year, but he's had a 36% strikeout rate. And instead, what he's done is just completely change his swing profile and go from swinging 50% of the time last year to 38% of the time. And along with it, that's gone down to a 22% O swing. Both of those numbers are now positives, like real, you know, real uh, discipline. And he hasn't tanked his zone swing percentage to the point where he's too passive. Um, so I really think this is like a coming together. It could be a, a peak year. So 26 is kind of the new peak uh, by by the numbers, and this could be his peak year. But also he's showing the kind of skills uh, that I think will allow him to uh, be a successful player for five years or so, five, six years more, because he's playing center field. That gives him the opportunity to still be useful when he's in the corners. He's showing discipline. He's not reaching at pitches outside of the zone, which which – uh, contact outside of the own zone at uh, ages really badly. So um, Hap is uh, like Hap compared to Teoscar. I think um, Hap, if you're talking dynasty, I would much rather buy high on Hap than Teoscar right now. You mentioned Kyle Lewis as uh, your your bold prediction AL Rookie of the Year candidate or AL Rookie of the Year pick. I remember another one from that off the top of my head. You, you Darvish as the uh, NL Cy Young, I believe. So uh, it's looking pretty good with those two calls. You Darvish uh, putting together one heck of a season for the Cubs this year. Let's move over to pitchers really quickly here. I did throw three guys into the list. Lance Lynn, Max Fried, Denelson Lamette. I think the problem potentially with buying Denelson Lamette and Max Fried high is that it might not be realistic. Those are two guys who, you know, no matter what league you played in, draft auction, no matter who's in this league, they had their big backers. You had to be aggressive if you wanted Denelson Lamette yeah. and Max Fried. So whoever has them in your league loved love them. them six months ago, two months ago, you know, whatever. They still love them today. Lance Lynn feels like the sort of guy who is gettable. Um, what interests me about him, and I would love to get your take on this, is 
How much of Texas's new home park is playing to his advantage, and should we be concerned if he ends up getting traded in these next five days? Uh, that's an interesting point. Uh, he hasn't necessarily been a guy who suppresses home runs. Um, you know, in the 2015, like sort of the juice ball era, he's, you know, you've seen uh, the, the home runs go up for him just like everybody else. Uh, his projections say he's going to give up more home runs in the future. And so a move, different move to a, another park could be there. And there's also the, the risk that I thought is that if you just look at Lance Lynn's fastballs, I, I wasn't necessarily all the way in on Lynn to begin uh, the season. And if, one of the risks is if you look at his fastballs, he does way better on fastballs over 94 and then he does on fastballs under 94 and he averaged 94 two last year and that was the most of his career and i just thought he's gonna have he's gonna slough off that a little bit well he did but he only dropped down to 93.6 and he's also added uh more breaking balls than he's ever thrown yes well yes more breaking balls than <laughs> he's ever thrown before um and um they've been okay so uh, maybe I wasn't uh, as positive about his breaking stuff as I should have been. Um, and he's still throwing a lot of balls over 94. And he looks like a solid bet, even though that Babib should regress and he might give up more homers for, in the future. I mean, what a like late career turnaround that we've seen from Lance Lynn over the last few seasons. And uh, it's get, it's gotten to a point where you know, it feels bettable that uh, this is the sort of guy he is. I'm not worried. I wanted to ask you because I'm not worried if he does end up getting traded. And it does feel like he's one of those you know needle-moving starting pitchers who potentially could be available. I have to believe if the Rangers did make him widely available that they would be getting a ton of calls on him. Atlanta is a team that, that jumps to mind that maybe would be uh, interested in acquiring Lance Lynn, the White Sox, another team that could potentially want to make a move like that. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be worried about him making a move out of Texas uh, and, and going elsewhere with what we've seen from him you know, these last few seasons. Definitely feels like a guy who uh, major league teams and fantasy teams uh, would be fine buying high, even if this does prove to be a peak in his 2020 season. Seems like um, somebody the Braves could really use. Right, right. I mean, with everything that's happened there. And Ian Anderson coming up and looking as good as he did against a still good but depleted Yankees lineup obviously is a, a nice thing for this Atlanta team. But, I mean, they could definitely, I mean, even with Ian Anderson there, they need, they need, they have to be active in the starting pitcher market these, uh, these next few days. Yeah, I thought maybe they'd get Taiwan Walker. I have a piece coming out today about trade stuff. I thought maybe they'd get Taiwan Walker and Kyle Seeger as a package. Mm. But uh, maybe it's better to break those apart because Kyle Seeger is uh, paid like 19 million next year. And if you just focus on trading for him, you could talk about the money and uh, give a lesser prospect uh, for Seeger uh, because you're basically taking on $20 million or whatever from the Mariners. And um, then you finally get a league average third baseman in Atlanta where they are bottom of the pack. As much as I think Riley does have real power, the plate discipline of the defense has been terrible. Camargo swinging out of his shoes, you know, puts Seeger and Lynn on the Braves and you're talking about a World Series contender. Yeah, Kyle Seeger, another guy who is uh, having a great season that we didn't necessarily expect coming into the year. Um, if your team does end up making a big trade that improves their prospects for the remainder of the year, maybe you'll want to cheers a friend. And one of the best ways to do that is with a dugout mug. Dugout Mugs is a company that was started in a college baseball dugout, hence the name Dugout Mugs. They take the barrel of a baseball bat and turn it into a 12-ounce mug. They're licensed by Major League Baseball, so you can get your favorite team laser engraved onto a Birchwood baseball bat barrel mug. Perfect for the big game, just to put on display, to use, really, whenever you want, and a great gift for a baseball fan. Right now, you can go to dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and use promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and code MLB30. You know, let's move on now to some buy low candidates. I like what you threw in here into the sheet uh, right at the top. I'm going to start right there. You wrote pick one to not buy low, Christian Yelich, Francisco Lindor, and Nolan Arenado. I got to admit, I, I am a let's get stars, and, and I almost don't really care what it's going to take me to get stars. It would be hard for me to pick one of these guys to not buy low if I had to pick one. And this feels almost blasphemous for me to say because for years now in my home league, which is long-term keeper, 
I have uh, had Nolan Arenado, and my team has been named after him, rolling with Nolan. I think uh-huh. he'd be the one, though. I think he would be the one who I would pick if I'm not going to chase one of these three guys. I think Nolan Arenado would be the guy. Yeah, uh, you know, I was I was trying to look at them through the lens of Statcast, and um, you know, the reason that I think Statcast is so useful um, is that it's so immediate and directly measurable um, right. and process oriented versus. Uh, outcome oriented to some extent. I mean, yes, they're still judging outcomes, but there's it's a little bit closer to process, I think. Um, and uh, you know, the one thing uh, that I saw with Arenado is he's still um, barreling the ball about as much as he normally does, and I kind of like the extreme um, change in strikeout rate. Um, and I think that um, perhaps he's he's launching the ball a little bit too high in the air, but otherwise. Um, I see most of his expected numbers as being better than his actual numbers. Um, actually, that is not true. Uh, but I could see him kind of returning more to a hard hit and whiff profile um, and still benefiting from what he's learned from this. Like right now, he's got a 7% strikeout rate. Like at the very least, uh, the batting average should go up, uh, especially with, with games at home. So um, I might be picking Lindor. Uh, here as the not buy low uh you know Yelich is still hitting the ball really hard there's still a ton of red ink all over his stat cast page uh Lindor is uh he's only hit the ball weaker once and we're talking about average EV and that's not the greatest number but also his barrel rate is uh the second worst of his career since his rookie season um and his hard hit rate uh is worse than it's been in the last three seasons and uh, strikeout rate, which I said earlier is like something that's a fairly stable stat right now is the worst of his career. So it's just, uh, none of the metrics, um, are telling me that something good is happening here. Is, is there anything to explain why this is happening to, to Francisco Lindor? No, I would assume that it has to do with pitch selection. Um, and perhaps how he's being pitched because, one of the things that he realized when he got to the major leagues, um, one of the things he's talked about in the past is that he could just pick basically high pitches. He could just pick pitches he could drive um, and uh, hit them out. Right now, he's seeing a ridiculously low amount of fastballs. Um, you know, his uh, overall fastball rate is down to 45% from over 55% career. Uh, his four seam rate is down to the lowest of his career. The sinker rate went from hovering around 20% to 12% this year. Um, so there's an adjustment that needs to be made and it's not all breaking balls that he's getting. In fact, the biggest growth has been in changeups. So maybe he'll just, he just hit some pitchers that had a bunch of changeups. He's not that great against changeups. He can't lift the changeup that well. And he'll get back on track when he stops seeing changeups. Here's the problem, though. If he's been seeing a lot of pitches with great changeups, he's going to keep seeing them because the way the schedule is set up this year, you're just going to keep mm-hmm. seeing the same guys over and over again. You know what's interesting about that? And we've talked about this. Um, I produced the, um, our, our Cubs podcast uh, and mentioned how they've you know, started this season well. And uh, Sahadev Sharma has mentioned a few times on that show how you know, we're caught in this weird position this year where in our brains we know that it's just 20-whatever baseball games and that in a normal year this would be like April 20th, April 22nd, and we would be like saying these things about these players. But, you know, 162 games – we have good reason to believe things are going to level out. But we don't have that this year. And so we are having these discussions that feel almost forced, but we still have to have these discussions about guys like Francisco Lindor. Yeah, and when you only see your division and then some of the uh, national, the other league's version of your division, um, you just don't have that diversity. that's, That's part of what you're talking about, like the diversity in what you'll see, you know? Um he's seeing a lot of changeups. Normally he would run into some teams that had pitchers that don't have great changeups. Cause there's not a lot of great changeups in the league, you know, but mm-hmm. what if he just keeps seeing Lucas Giolito? <laughs> <laughs> Going to see a lot of changeups. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, so, uh, you know, with the other guys, uh, with, uh, Yelly and, uh, and Arenado, like I just, I saw enough, uh, that I, that I could grab onto that was positive and I just don't have, uh, something that I can grab onto with Lindor right now that's positive. And I, I don't know that that's necessarily something that's really um, a, a problem uh, in terms of like buying low in a fantasy league, in a dynasty league. Yeah. Yeah. 
I would buy mm. low on all three of them. They're in the right age range. They would be the kind of players I would give an, a godfather offer to right now. If you are out of it and you can t- send someone Lance Lynn and um, uh, Edwin Diaz and, uh, you know, uh, an old outfielder. I don't uh, One's not <laughs> coming to, to, to brain right now. But, like, just send him everything he needs to compete this year. That's the oh, godfather. Charlie Blackman. And you give me back Francisco Lindor? Or you give me back Nolan Arenado? Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing that. How about a guy who is frequently mentioned alongside Francisco Lindor for obvious reasons? Javier Baez, a guy who has started this season very slow. What's interesting with him is we see these swings with him a lot, you know, right? And a lot of times the underlying numbers don't make sense to him hitting the ball as well as he does. But it's happened now year over year. Uh, the one thing that does concern me when you look at his um, look at his numbers under the hood is the strikeout rate because mm-hmm. it's one that he got under control. right Early in his career, it seemed like something that could totally submarine him as a hitter, yeah. and he was just going to be a strikeout guy who hit for decent power and had a really good glove wherever the Cubs decided to play him. He got it under control the last two seasons. This year, it's back up at 32%. That is what jumps out at me the most, but... Again, there's just so many years where we've seen from him where you look at the underlying numbers and you would think this is a middling hitter at best with maybe some power, and then he's contending for an MVP. I mean, he's cut his his reach rate this year. However, it's a bad reach rate, and it's a bad <laughs> swinging strike rate. Like, it just is, you know? And when you combine those two, you have a, a, a walk-to-strikeout ratio that puts a lot of pressure on his power and defense, right? And what ages terribly? Contact on pitches outside of the zone, defense, speed. A lot of the things his game is built on. And I have to say this. I think the peak is gone. Wow. I would not do a godfather offer for Javi Baez in a dynasty league. I would be trying to maybe even sell him low. Um, if I was re- if I had a hint of rebuilding, he might be the first uh, that I would put on the block to try and get coax one of those big offers out, out of the league. In a redraft, um, some of that pressure is off me, and if I could get him at a good price, I would. But there are other names on this list that I like better as buy lows. Who is one of those names? Um, you know, I think that uh, Cattell Marte or Eugenio Suarez are, are guys mm-hmm. that I really like. Uh, Eugenio, in particular, um, is still hitting the ball hard when he hits it. And, um, you know, I just think that, uh, you know, with the barrel rate the way it is um, and with the expected slugging, uh, 120, 130 points over where it is, uh, or where it is actually right now, um, I can ignore some of the other flaws and uh, and jump on board, expecting not necessarily a 280 average and 45 homers, uh, you know, a pace of that kind, but uh, much better than what he's producing right now. It's a weird team this year. I just expected so much more from that offense, and you know, he hasn't delivered, at least in bottom line production. Mike Moustakis, of course, been in and out of the lineup, uh, had a trip to the IL, but uh, he hasn't quite delivered on a per-game basis what you would expect from him. Nick Castellano started out very hot, but has slowed down a little bit. I really thought this was going to be a year where the offense put things together, and I still think it could. Like This is a, a, another one of those teams that – 162-game season, I would still be buying the Reds. This year, it starts to get to a point where it's concerning. They just called up Jose Garcia, and it sounds like he's going to get to play mostly every day at shortstop, and you know, Freddie Galvis will work in the lineup wherever they get him time. But it's an interesting team to watch for the rest of this year, almost with an eye on 2021, because so many of those guys are going to be back next season. Yeah. Um, yeah, I Suarez as a as a long term acquisition scares me a little bit more because of his age. Mm-hmm. Sure, um, sure. Marte would be a little bit more attractive uh, at twenty six. Um, there there was a spike in barrel rate last year that uh, Cattell Marte has not um, sustained this year. However, the expected batting average is still around three hundred. The expected slugging is still at four forty. I still expect him to uh, be a guy that next year you might project into sort of 2010, 300 type numbers, which super valuable. Um, I still think he's going to steal bases to some extent, and mm-hmm. um, the batting average these days, uh, league average batting average is like two forty or something. Right. So 
uh, a 300 guy is is definitely still still worthwhile um jose garcia is really interesting um i i didn't think he was ready i didn't i didn't think they would call him up um and uh now they're just handing him the keys. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to expect from him. He had high A experience, you know. Right. Um, I do like the the strikeout rate down there in high A and the the power speed combo. Um, and they're going to give him a shot. And in the Reds, uh, the, one of the things that I did for my piece today um, was kind of look at. Um, which are the biggest holes in baseball and the reds did show up at shortstop their shortstop situation was 29th in baseball by the depth charts Oof. so this is an attempt to take their biggest uh weakness i think it's their biggest weakness and uh mm-hmm. and, and throw some youth at it so um we'll see if that's that's enough for the reds it could be. I mean, there's still plenty of time with these eight teams making the playoffs. And, so, and they're so close together. Yeah, right? I mean, it's, they're so, so, so stacked up, those those last few teams that are you know currently in playoff position in both leagues, but I think especially in the NL. Uh, let's uh, let's move this over to uh, – well, actually, you know what? You put someone in here. I want to get your take on uh, – the only reason I didn't was because he's still sitting on the IL right now, but Glaber Torres – um, in here, uh, another guy who big target of mine in the uh, in draft season, and I didn't end up with him in as many leagues as I wanted to. Um, but uh, what, what's your buy low case for him this right at this point of the year? Um, so the the book on him seems to be out in terms of how he's being pitched, and what we're seeing right now is his response to that. And I actually think it's great to see this response. So. The book now is, I mean, it's a similar book to everybody else, no fastballs. And it's a huge drop. From 2019, 35% four seams, 25% this year. 12% sinkers, 16% this year. And it's coming in the form of change-ups, curveballs, sliders. They're all up. Cutters, everything has bend when it comes to Gliber Torres this year. And instead, like, instead of focusing, I think, on the power or even the EV or any of that, I'm instead focusing on the swing uh, response to that. And the swing response to that has been to cut his swing rate from 52% to 42%, to cut his reach rate from 30 to 23%. So basically, he's laying off of the junk. And, you know, I see that 13% walk rate and the 19% strikeout rate, and I still see a really excellent young player. Uh, 23 years old. I have no doubt the power is coming back. And I see this as part of an, an adjustment period. Uh, that he is overcoming. We're seeing the adjustment happen. If we didn't see the adjustment and he instead had a 7% walk rate, his old reach and swing rates, a 25, 26, 27, 28% strikeout rate, all things that are possible for him. He had 27% strikeout rates in AAA in 2017. If he had that going on, um, I would say, ooh, let's wait until we see the adjustment. But he's already made the adjustment. So I think uh, Gleyber Torres is another one of these guys that I I would send... Um, a, a godfather offer for in a dynasty league. And uh, I might even, in a redraft, take the risk of trying to acquire him in Wise on the DL because everyone's DL is screwed. Right, right. And yeah, I, and is... if you've got room on the DL, man, like I would, and especially if you're like one of these like sort of H to H or Roto, like where you, you're a contender, like you're near the top. And the guy with Gliber Torres is at the bottom, and he just needs to do something to get up. Like they just need to do something to get up into the middle of their fantasy league. Go send him your credible guy uh, for Gliber Torres, mm-hmm. your credible middle infielder for Gliber Torres. Stash Gliber Torres, and then go to the wire and see if you can't uh, tread water until Gliber Torres comes back. Yeah, investing in super talented twenty-three-year-olds who already have a little bit of uh, established track record is never a bad thing, <laughs> exactly. right? That's uh, sort of guys that we don't exactly expect to grow on trees. So, um, so Gleyber Torres, IL no IL, definitely someone who feels like a good buy low candidate. Let's hit on some uh, at least one pitcher before uh, we get out of here. Um, I threw Chris Paddock in there, and I threw Luis Castillo in there. We're not done just yet. We're going to get to some uh, some listener questions also after this. But uh, Chris Paddock, Luis Castillo, I was really into Luis. 
Luis Castillo coming into the year. Obviously, it's been a pretty slow start. I understood the um, the concerns with Chris Paddock also coming into the year. I was fading those concerns. Uh, another guy who was similar to what I just said about Torres. I felt like a guy with his pedigree and with his uh, level of accomplishment already at such a young age in his rookie year, uh, even with some of those concerns uh, needing to be figured out in year two, thought he was someone who was worth betting on. Both of them have not been... Uh, very good to this point. Do either one of them interest you more as a buy low pitcher? You know, what's interesting with Paddock, there's actually um, a, a, a change in stuff. I don't see that with Castillo, but with Paddock, um, he added a cutter and he improved his curveball. Um, uh, and those things are good. Um, mm-hmm. What happened, though, I think, is he got around side his fastball. And um, what you've seen is a drop in ride. He's He's got two plus inches less ride on his fastball this year. And what's happened is he's lost 30% of the whiffs on, on the fastball. And the uh, isolated slugging percentage is three times higher this year on the fastball. So even as the curveball got better, and that's great because the curveball needs to get better to get next to that change. And if he has cutter curve change, he's going to be better than if he's just fastball change. All those things are really good. And I think they're great for his long-term. And I think in a long-term capacity, I'm willing to buy him. But I also think that it might be hard for him to add those two inches of ride back to his fastball in season. And so I think this may just be a season of transition for Paddock. I would be watching the ride on his fastball on Brooks baseball. Uh, right now it's about an 8.8 and last year it was 10 plus. Um, I'd be 8.5. I think I'd be watching that. And if it ticks up, then I'm much more interested in him. Castillo, you know, I think Castillo, you know, his slider isn't amazing. Um, and, uh, and it relies more on command, uh, than stuff. But this year, Castillo still has good command of his changeup, his slider, uh, his fastball, his command plus on everything is above average. And so I would say that that walk rate is coming down. The strikeout rate is great. And if the walk rate comes down uh, and the Babbitt comes down because he has a little bit better command, uh, the ERA will come down. And I, and I see him as uh, very useful right now with a 390 ERA and a great mm-hmm. strikeout rate. Um, and even more useful in the future. So Castillo to me is a clear buy low. Paddock, uh, there's like a there's like a there's like a mechanical component that I'm kind of waiting on. As much as I still like yeah. him long term. Yeah, like him long term, like that team long term, like that team short term with everything that they've been able to uh, put out on the field this season. We've got some uh, listener questions we're going to get to, but first a quick word from our sponsors. All right, you know, let's get to a couple of listener questions here. First one uh, comes from Dan, says, hey, Derek and Eno. Sorry, Dan, you're going to have to settle for Michael and Eno on this question. Uh, What's your take on Dylan Cease? His ERA has been elite thus far. His walk rate is down. Pretty much everything else looks pretty bad. K rate, uh, homer per nine, uh, hard hard hit rate up, ground ball percentage down. Currently has him in a 14-team keeper league. And is considering banking his performance thus far and just dropping him. Good call, or am I giving up enticing long-term upside? Uh, I've been trying to sell Dylan C so hard in every league. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I did succeed in selling him in two leagues, uh, and the third league, I'm still still shopping him pretty hard. If you can't uh, if you can't get anything for him, uh, if you're in a league full of sharps. Um, I suppose, but I also think that uh, the Central is one of the weakest uh, divisions mm-hmm, in terms mm-hmm. of of uh, schedule. So um, you know, throwing him out there against the Indians doesn't scare me. Throwing him out there against the Royals doesn't scare me. Um, throwing him out there against the Pirates, uh, Tigers, Tigers. So there's got to be, if you play the schedule game, I would just look at his starts and see if you can kind of be like one, two, three, four, five, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and find out what the rest of his schedule looks like. If you can identify, um, you know, two of the next four starts that you'd start him, then um, I think you just, he's a guy you keep on the bench. You know, they're, they're definitely guys that I think are better than streamers and I don't have a, a like a name for them yet, but <laughs> They're kind of they need like, a name. I know exactly where you're going. You know, like keep them on your bench, <laughs> yeah. play them sometimes. Don't drop them because they're better than your typical streamer situation. 
Uh, but don't start them every time. So that's what I do. Cease. I think. Yeah, maybe something with cease in the name could uh, could work for <laughs> cease these guys. Cease and desist. <laughs> something like that. Um, all right. Question number two comes from Nick. Uh, what is Zach Davies doing so differently this year that has brought extra success? Well, one reason that I like that trade uh, for the Padres was that um, Zach Davies. Uh, I liked Zach Davies better than um, Eric Lauer, and um, one of the things that he does have that he's always had, and he still has this year, that makes him more than the sum of his parts. And this is this year is kind of being um, an eye opener for me, I think in terms of the importance of command and the use of command plus Um, just look at the Indians and what they've managed to do uh, with pitchers that they drafted mostly for command and good secondaries. They've been able to, to uh, pump up their fastball velocity a little bit with uh, modern techniques and um, Shane Bieber, of course, is the patron saint of this, um, you know, going from 90-ish to 94-ish in the major leagues and, and uh, showing so much slider command that he's just uh, so hard to hit. Um, the, uh, the opposite end is also true. Josh James, no command. Dylan Cease, no command. We're seeing how much it can take away from your stuff. So uh, here are the command pluses for Davies' uh, pitches this year. Two-seam fastball. 118 changeup 132 curveball uh he's only thrown 10 of those but still 119 uh cut fastball 125 um so he is like above and beyond when it comes to um command i think that's most of uh what makes him good the other stuff that makes him good is um, a slight uptick recently in velocity um, and I think a little bit of a winnowing in his pitch mix. The curve has never been an amazing pitch for him. I think focusing on cutter change sinker um, is the last uh, piece that has uh, that sticks out to me in terms of uh, what's different this year. Happy we were able to get that uh, question into an episode that did not include DVR. I feel like he doesn't need to be reliving that trade every single day of his <laughs> well, life. We, you know? we, we shoehorn Freddie Peralta into every other episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, we got uh, one more question here. This one coming from Andrew, and he didn't even want DVR involved. He just says, my question for you, Eno, is which pitcher would you try to trade uh, of this group of pitchers for a high-level hitter? This is a stack rotation that Andrew's got. Walker Buehler, Blake Snell, Kenta Maeda, and uh, and Herman Marquez. He also has Shane Bieber, but doesn't plan on moving him. Says he's first or second in every pitching category in his Roto League 12 teams, uh, but bottom third in every hitting category except for average. So you got Buehler, Snell, Maeda, Marquez. He's looking to move one of those four. Doesn't want to move Bieber, understandably. Yeah, so I think the Bueller is a hard one to move. He, I don't know if he went on the DL, but he has a blister. He missed a start today, and he just doesn't have the numbers overall uh, to want to use him, I think. Um, Snell, uh, for me, is like a top 20 pitcher, and I want to hold on to those uh, if I've got them. So uh, I'm looking at Maeda Marquez. Of course, I, I think Marquez is the ideal one um, because – He's just always going to have Coors in the back of his head. However, when you're trying to sell him, he's the, the person buying him is always going to have uh, Coors in the back of their head. So right. um, maybe you could pair Maeda and Marquez and get two or get a, a hitter you really want uh, that could make a real big impact. As much as I love Maeda, he's been good at contact management. He has a good wide pitch mix. He has a, a great command. Um, something... Uh, occurs to me about the way the, the the Dodgers used him. We all kind of want to be cynical and say that the Dodgers, um, you know, moved Maeda to the bullpen in order to save money uh, because of the incentive-laden contract that Maeda has. And certainly that's possible. They may have just used their, uh, their depth uh, to do so. However, um, when I look at his last two seasons um, in terms of velocity, I see a sloughing off of velocity that arrests once they move him to the bullpen. Um, and considering that he's starting this year uh, at 91.5 on the sinker, um, you know, 
the closer that gets to 90, um, the results will change. Um, I'm not predicting like a falling apart for Kenta Maeda, uh, but the projections being around a four ERA uh, and a strikeout per inning um, is more replaceable uh, than what he's currently putting up there. Perhaps sellable, too, after a couple of nice starts. That was two starts ago, right, where he had that grade, the no-hitter he took uh, deep. So uh, could be even more sellable after uh, a couple of nice starts here for Kenta Maeda. Uh, let's wrap this up here. You know, I'm excited about this, getting to participate in the was it Beer of the Week or Beer of the Month since we're on uh, we're at the end of the month here on August 27th. What do, what do we call this? Do we call it Beer of the Week or do we call it Beer of the Month? Well, it was born as Beer of the Week, but then we had Prospect of the Week and uh, just got untenable. <laughs> um, so it's Beer of the Month. Um, and uh, I got uh, some beer in the mail from Forest and Maine that I'm really excited about that I had uh, while I was up in um, up in the mountains uh, when I went up to uh, when I went up to Yosemite um, I mm-hmm. brought up this uh, this beer and it's called um, let me see I'm getting I'm getting the name here um, ghost Marius let me see here. Here it is. Ghost Marius. Yes, Ghost Marius. And I had the Peach Ghost Marius, which is a 6% alcohol barrel-aged saison with fresh peaches, second-use plum, third-use cherries. And so the plums and cherries are more of an aftertaste uh, since they were used before. The peaches uh, come through the most. Um, what was so amazing about it was it was so restrained, I would say. Like, you hear all those peaches and those fruits, and you're like, oh, this is like a fruit smoothie. Eh, <laughs> that's not how it came across. A Saison um, in the wild is uh, just like a bubbly uh, – it's not lager-esque because it has some funk to it, uh, but it's not an IPA. It's distinctly not an IPA. And if somebody is uh, turned off on beer – because they do not like IPAs, saisons are the things I point them to. Um, mm-hmm. And so this Ghost Marius uh, was, I think, one of the five best beers I've ever had in my life. Like, uh, wow. Forest and Maine really uh, uh, hit the ball out of the park with that one. Um, and there are uh, plenty of other, like I also had um, uh, some similar uh, tart saisons. Uh, from Birds Fly South uh, in Greenville um, that I would also recommend. So that's uh, Birds Fly South in in South Carolina. Might be able to uh, get that in the Carolinas. Um, And Forest and Mains in in Pennsylvania might be able to get that uh, up and down the the coast a little bit. Um, They're just really, really excellent um, tart saisons that are just completely different than, than IPA. So I just wanted to go in a different direction uh, with the beer of the week this week. Beautiful. I love it. I'm actually going to go with an IPA. I got to give uh, some love to uh, a brewery my wife and I found uh, toward the beginning of uh, COVID called Burning Bush. So uh, I live in Chicago. Uh, we're here in Chicago and we live uh, along the Chicago River outside the heart of the city, but still in the city uh, on the uh, northwest side. And the uh, river's beautiful. And, and we sort of one day when you know, at the beginning of COVID, you couldn't really do a whole lot, um, you know, stumbled onto um, a trail that we didn't know. You know, we knew obviously the, the, the trails along the Chicago River are really, really well built out, but you know, we didn't know it, that it was all the way as far north as it came. And so we just stumbled on this and having this lovely walk uh, along the river and, you know, watching the, uh, the, the ducks swim by and people kayaking and it was great. And then we get to the end of, um, uh, of the trail and we start to turn around and we're back out on normal streets. And, uh, as we're turning around to go to the other end, uh, you know, to go across the river and then walk the trail the other side, we walked past this brewery that we didn't know existed called Burning Bush and went in and uh, started talking them up and they had just opened in January. So obviously not the most uh, ideal timing <laughs> to open up anything. Yeah, um, but, uh, yeah, right? yeah, still, uh, still going strong, still in business. They have, uh, an IPA I love called uh, smooth serpent that they describe as a, a refreshing blend of citrus notes and hot bitterness. So pretty standard, 
IPA, but really nice, a really, really high quality IPA, not an overwhelming IPA also if you are, you know, not quite think that you're not an IPA person, really nice. And I also just learned uh, that the owners are uh, live in my hometown of Skokie, Illinois. So uh, really just bringing it all together for me. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it looks Burning like- Bush, you can definitely get it in Chicago. Check it out. It is a great place and Smooth Serpent, a really nice IPA. Like at some point, maybe patios will be open and um, yeah. the patio there, does that look over Corner Park and the water there? It uh, it doesn't quite look over it. Um, I, I think that uh, they are planning on building it out to a point where it could, but they're going to have to turn it around. Right now it looks to the east, which looks away from, from the park and oops. the river. So they're going to have to turn it to the... Uh, towards the road. Tr- yeah, turn it to the west. But uh, it is, uh, it's a great place. And... Um, you know, we've been uh, we've been going back there. We've still been doing that walk and been going back there and and picking up stuff, picking up growlers and, and bringing it home. Well, that's really it. fun too. That's uh, it's I I got a, a delivery of beer. I was going to try and use it for a beer of the week, but I I'm not going to drink beer at nine o'clock in the morning on Thursday. <laughs> so, uh, but I got a delivery of beer. Uh, one of them is Bodum. Oh yes, love Bodum, uh, which I think has actually been uh, a beer of the month uh, on this on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. I believe it. Um, and uh, it wasn't for me, actually. I think um, uh, uh, DVR yeah, had DVR it. DVR and so I talked about it once. To have my first. And then I also got uh, 18th Street and Phase 3. Very um, nice. Which I've never had before and were supposedly uh, the hype haze water. Uh, so uh, I- I'm ready to, to try that. And next next beer of the month. Hey, I'll get right back on it. It'll be something hazy. I promise. <laughs> I promise y'all. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's great. That's a great way uh, to wrap up this episode of Rates and Barrels. Thanks for letting me join you. You know, this was great. This was a lot of fun. DVR should go on vacation more often. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we should have had more fun at his expense. Just one Freddy Peralta joke. That was it. Right? I mean, we, we just weren't thinking about it, really. But yeah, uh, maybe next time. Um, if, you are, uh, <laughs> if you're enjoying this on a platform that... Allows you to leave a uh, rating and review. We would uh, we would love that. We would greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can still get 40% off that first year if you go to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Spell out and, not an ampersand. Rates and barrels. Get everything we do. All of Eno's articles, all of our baseball coverage, league-wide, team-by-team, fantasy, every single sport. Obviously, there's a lot going on in the sports world, and we've got that all covered for you at The Athletic. You can always reach us by email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. Again, spell out the word and their ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. Me, I am at M. Beller. And we'll throw some love at our usual host of Rates and Barrels, Derek Van Riper at Derek Van Riper. It's going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.